To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on my good buddy, Brandon Purcell. Uh, I really like Brandon. Uh, he's a salt of the earth and a, a great public land hunter. Uh, he had this epic season last year with his bow uh, and with his rifle. And so we kind of recap last season and talk over elk hunting and talk over mule deer hunting. And then we get into bear hunting as well. And I think Brandon has more experience hunting bears than anybody else I know. Uh, he spends his springs or used to spend his springs guiding bear hunters in western Montana and different places there. And so uh, he's just got a ton of days in the field and he's so knowledgeable, you know, about bears, but also uh, elk, mule deer, uh, traveling hunting. And uh, he's going up to uh, Prince of Wales this year to hunt big black bears. So I can't wait to hear how he does on that. But uh, just a great human being and a great public land hunter. And um, yeah, I'm psyched to call him a friend and have him on the podcast. So get right into it. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran owned and they employ a bunch of veterans through their business. Uh, this year I had a chance to use their instant coffee and their tea bag coffee. And I've tried other instant coffees from, you know, companies that I can buy at the grocery store. And it, it just doesn't make me feel right, and I don't like the taste. So for years, I was packing a French press into the mountains, uh, but not anymore. Now they have this, this instant coffee and this tea bag coffee that's super lightweight, that tastes really good, and makes me feel really good. So I used it all last season. Uh, I shared it with my buddies, and they all agree it's the best-tasting coffee out there. So... Uh, I'm super excited to use it again this season. And then I'm also just getting into the Black Rifle Roast. That Evan Hafer, that guy loves coffee. And he, he makes the best tasting coffee out there. And so Black Rifle Coffee Company has these subscriptions. Uh, and they'll send you different roasts. And then they, they'll keep you stocked full of fresh new coffee. And so uh, I'm going to do this as well and be part of the subscription and um, just because I like the flavor of their coffee. So uh, go on and do that, and then make sure to check out their instant and their tea bags for this year in the backcountry. It's awesome stuff. I also want to thank High Mountain Seasoning. High Mountain Seasoning helps keep me alive through hunting season. Uh, I love using their jerky seasonings when I make my jerky in the dehydrator. So they've got uh, tons of options there that you can choose from, and every flavor I've tried I like. Uh, they also have everything for your wild game needs. Everything for uh, steak marinades. Uh, they, you can make snack sticks, uh, summer sausage. Uh, you name it for wild game needs, they have it. So uh, if you need anything for this season, before or after you make your harvest, make sure to check them out at High Mountain Seasonings. Okay, make sure to check out everything we have going on over there at Eastman's. We've got Beyond the Grid, the internet TV show. Got some great episodes coming up for you there. Uh, you can search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube, and that'll pull up. Uh, also, check out Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. You can set your DVR for that one. Uh, some episodes coming out there as well. 
the magazines. Boy, I've got two articles coming up in the next bow hunting journal. Um, I've got one on um, you know constantly evolving your game or evolving your 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 hunting skill set, and I talk about that, like kind of what you should be working on this time of year, or what I'm working on to improve my game. So a really fun article. Um, I enjoyed writing that one, and then. I had one that I wrote on extreme backpacking that got pushed back from another issue, uh, but it, but it talks all about extreme backpacking and the skills needed and the mindset. So really cool articles that'll be coming up in the next bow hunting journal. And um, you know, also these magazines have that MRS section, which really helped me learn these uh, out of states, the the applications, tags, things of that nature. And then we also have our internet research site, uh, Tag Hub, which has all that same data that's all compiled in one place. Um, so yeah, if you get a chance, make sure to check that out. It really helps me with my applications. And uh, hopefully we'll end up in a few tags in my pocket. We'll see. Uh, drawing's been rough on me so far, but I've got some some over-the-counter tags where, you know, I know I'll be bow hunting somewhere, and we still got a lot of states yet to release. So uh, maybe there's a sheep tag in my future, a really good mule deer tag or elk tag or something like that. So, uh, man, I'm just pins and needles waiting for these these draw uh, results to get out in Colorado and Nevada and Wyoming and places uh, like that, Arizona, uh, for deer and sheep. And so, yeah, we'll just, um, I'm on standby and don't really know how my season's going to shape up until I know which tags I have, but I'm super excited. Uh, training's been going great, getting really good runs in and, and um, just getting started bear hunting here. It's just starting to turn on. I saw my first one the other day, uh, nice jet black. And so I'll be out this week. And uh, looking to earn a stock and really looking to put in everything in this next month or so. You know, I've got um, from about May 10th today. Of course, this won't release to you guys till May 13th, 14th. Try to get it done at the beginning of the week. And, and um, but yeah, I've got basically from, from now till June 15th and then hoping I can mix like a quick trip to Hawaii and chase some axis deer with my buddies out there. So trying to put together some dates there. So I might, um, skip out on a, on a few days to go hunt Hawaiian axis. I love hunting those things. Uh, it's like, it's like my love for deer, elk, bear, same thing for axis deer. It's just a, an awesome species. So fun to hunt and they rut right at the end of May, beginning of June. So, uh, definitely going to try to shoot out there as well and uh, get some hunting in there and, and um, get after some of these black bears. Finally starting to green up. The grass has been way behind. But, uh, yeah, I've got some some big challenging hunts this year where I'm, uh, you know, as far as bears, um, you know, I can hunt them evenings here in my home valley and weekends and things, but I just need to go on some big adventures where I take three, four, five days, load up the backpack, and go disappear into some of these new mountain ranges I haven't been and. Um, so I'm super excited for the adventure phase of that and, uh, maybe teaming up with some buddies or something of that nature, but uh, it's a great time of year. Um, hunting season's closing in too. So, uh, good luck in the draws. You guys keep working hard towards your goals. Season will be here before you know it. And this off season is the time to improve your skill set. So, uh, you know, I'm grinding, working on my running, working on my physical fitness, working on my shooting, you know, uh, uh, everything that will go into making a successful fall. So, uh, can't wait for season. I know you guys are excited too. I've just got some great recordings coming up. So, uh, stay tuned to the podcast and, um, we'll keep releasing those things and get you guys that next level information. So, 
Um, all right, let's get into this thing. Uh, my buddy, Brandon Purcell, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Well, dude, I just wanted to get on and like um, recap your season and then get a little into bear season and some tactics and things. Man, you had a heck of a season. Yeah, for sure. That was one of the more memorable ones I've had for sure, you know. I mean, just starting things off with that elk was pretty sweet. I mean, you know, the elk definitely was memorable. It wasn't without its, like, trials and tribulations. I mean... I hunted Idaho before that in the Selway and just got my ass absolutely kicked. I In all the days I hunted in there, uh, between the September and November season, I never saw one elk. Oh my gosh, that's tough going. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you in, grind in it. Area. Yeah, that in that yeah. um, Idaho country. So you kind of live on the border of Montana and Idaho, and so you like have some experience over in that Idaho country chasing elk. And so the unit you picked, um, it can grow some great big bulls. They can just be tough to find, like uh, case in point your season, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's I, I honestly feel like even here in Montana, man, it was the season was really good at first. And then when all that smoke came in, it really seemed to like kill, you know, the hunting, um, or at least the rut, at least where I was, you know, and then we got that like snow or rain event, you know, right before I guess I killed that elk. And it seemed like, dude, right after that, it just like turned on, you know? Oh, right. Um, yeah, that smoke just made it tough. Like, I don't know, you know, could have affected the rut for sure and how hard those bulls were rutting just with all that smoke in the air, but it sure made them tough to see. Like, us guys that like to sit behind our binos and our scope and pick those things off at distant terrain, that, like, wasn't an option anymore. No, not at all. It was squirrely, you know. And it was, like, that was the, my biggest issue with the Selway is, like, I'd been in there and I'd seen stuff early and then, which was great. I was like, dude, I'm going to have a great hunt because you can hunt with a rifle September 15th. And man, I went in there and like opening day, I couldn't see across the canyon I was in. And that country lends itself really well to glassing. Like if you can glass, you're like, you're, you're not going to do well. You know, it's not easy to get around in. I mean, it took, took me like two and a half, almost three hours to go like five miles you know, which is pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brutal terrain. For sure. And so if you can't glass, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, and if they're not talking, I mean, you're in even worse shape, you know. But, I mean, I was thankful that, like, you know, we got that rain snow event in Montana, you know, like around the 18th or whatever, 19th. Mm-hmm. And then, dude, the two days that I spent, archery hunting after that were like all time i mean that was like two of the best days i've ever had God, I mean, that period that's what a guy's hunting for too and that selway like um you're, you're such a great mountain hunter you've been doing it for so long brandon that, that you don't even realize like how hard you go or how hard you push but you went hard in that selway you covered some miles in that place and and like truth is is like any of these hunts can humble us at any time but but so much of it, you know, whether it's elk or whether it's mule deer, which we'll get into, but uh, so much of it is timing, like you say, where it was good early or 
um, like you, you just went all in after that storm and, 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 and went after some mountain elk and man, you got into the party in there, like after that weather hit and, and didn't see any people. No, it was insane. And like, dude, those two days were, I mean, still, and you know, those are the days you always hunt for. I mean, you know, those are like days that took me like 20 years to have, you know, it was just like, dude, I could have killed like seven bulls in two days. You know, like, pretty epic. Oh, dude, (laughs) so epic. Well, um, and sometimes it's just, like, about grinding and putting in your time to find those two days of magic. And that's what I find, you know, with all hunting, really. It's like uh, you're you're just hunting for that payoff. But um, I know I know the story of that bull, but my audience doesn't. So, like, um, walk me through that bull a little bit. So you were mountain hunting. You were solo and talk me through it. Dude, such a giant bull, that six by seven. I was so happy for you. I was also super happy, you know, maybe a bit selfishly because I'm one of your buddies and like to hunt with you that you fell back in love with the bow this year, you know. So maybe we can oh, we can sure. get into that or, or why you fell out of love with the bow and why you fell back in love. But tell me the story of that bull. Oh, man. that Yeah, that hunt was sick. So like I was saying, like, dude, I had two of the best days I've ever had and, like, the day before I was across the valley and it was sick and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to a spot I hunted the year before and I'd actually wounded a bull in there. And that probably being part of the reason that's kind of getting me like turned off of archery. But anyway, dude, I like turn up the road and like, I'm not like 500 yards up the road and like a mammoth black bear runs in front of the runs in front of me on the road. And I was like, dude, this is so sick. Like, just a sign from the spirit God, you know, you're like, this is going to be good. And then like, I saw a huge owl going in, which is cool. And then I park at like this spot that I've never seen anybody parked at, you know, it's kind of an obscure, it's not like a trailhead. And I like park dude. And I'm like hearing this bull, like go nuts, like down below me. And I'm like sitting there, like making food at dusk. And like, I'm just being like serenaded to sleep by this like family of coyotes that's like right up the up the mountain for me you know and like for me and like all my hunts and like places that i've gone like man i feel like when the coyotes there like i've had like really good luck you know for whatever reason whether that's the you know just a sign or whatever well it's letting yourself like get into the the mesh or the fabric uh, uh, of the you know, the, the back country that you're in too. Like, I love how you just enjoyed the entire experience, like black bear running across, like it almost feels spiritual and you're to the mountains. And like you say, owls and coyotes and the whole deal. Really cool. Go ahead. Oh, for sure. And like that, I mean, I think that's a huge part of like even being successful is like almost like losing sight of, you know, like yourself and being able to like immerse yourself in the experience, you know, and like, yeah, and that, those, that was one of those days where it just felt like everything was in tune, you know. It was sick. And so I got up the next morning, like, early. There's a bull bugling down below me. But generally, like, in the spot that I hunt, like, it, it seems like the first, like, basin or two is kind of what I refer to as, like, the nursery. So it's like, you know, you're getting into, like, you know, five-by-five, five, smaller six-by-six six type bulls. But you generally don't see, like, the big bulls in that area. So I, like, kind of worked through the nursery and I uh, kind of get up to this ridge or kind of divides where I feel like the more mature elk hang out. And I'd been hearing elk all morning, like walking in there and I could hear them up on this ridge. And I get in there and like 
totally with an opportunity. I just like went a little too fast and like, you know, I just got aggressive. I was like excited and like blew the small group elk out. And I was like, Oh man, you know, brutal, but whatever, you know, it's just like, I'm just going to get the wind right. And like, you know, keep going. And, uh, I kind of just start like sidling my way through this country and I didn't really hear much in the first base after I boosted that one and got to a spot where I could kind of like overlook this other drainage. And I was just sitting there kind of picking it apart, like looking at different groups of elk, trying to find like a more mature bull. You know, I'd seen a couple like five by fives and six by sixes and stuff. And, you know, I'm just not like definitely not what I'm looking to put my tag on, you know? And it was cool because in the process of sitting there, I had a herd of elk like walk by me at like 65 yards, like small bull, you know, but like, it's kind of nice to like test your metal when you're like, Oh man, I can totally smoke that thing right now. You know, and just being like getting yourself into that, like calm, you know, like state of mind where you're not like all agitated and like jumpy. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> sitting, I had another bull come in as I'm sitting there. I was like, dude, this is going to be good. And, the whole time I'm sitting there, I could hear this elk like across the way. I could never put eyes on him, but I mean, his bugle was like, I thought it was a moose at first because of how like dark and just like nasty it was. I mean, he was just like, Ey. and that was like the extent of his bugle, you know? And it was like, I feel like when they're making that sound, it's like generally a mature bull because they've been like bugling their face off for what probably would have been like three weeks at that point, you know? Yes. And so I can just hear this thing and I'm just like, man, I wish I could just get eyes on that. So I like worked up the Canyon a little bit and tried to find like a little outcropping. I could see a little bit. Like I tried to get basically directly across the Canyon from him to try to pick him out in the timber. Cause he was sitting in a fairly small patch. And I think it was like probably around noon. I started seeing these like cows milling around and I was like, Oh man, this is good. Like, for whatever reason, he's up on his feet, like moving, you know, and I sat there and watched, I think it was like an hour and a half or something. And finally I caught like a glimpse of his antlers, like going through the timber. And dude, when I saw it, I was so stoked. Cause like I chased that bull the year before I have phone scope footage of him on the like mountain above where I ended up like killing him. But it's sick. Cause like I tried to chase him last year. He was a good bull. But, like, this year he, like, blew up, you know. He was, like, substantially bigger. And uh, so I, like, catch him moving. I'm, like, checking the wind the whole time. Like, the wind's perfect. And it's just kind of one of those situations where, like, the environmental factors are, like, there. Like, you have the wind perfect and the sun is at your back. I mean, if you can get the wind in your face and the sun at your back, man, there's not a whole lot you can't do. You, You know, if you stay on point. But I'm looking at him. And I'm like ranging him and he's like 700 yards away. And I'm just like, man, this is, this could be really good. You know? And most of the time I try to be patient and not like bomb after him and like blow stuff out of there. Cause you know, that can definitely happen. But I mean, it was just like, dude, everything is perfect right now, you know? And I start like bombing down there. And about the time I do that, he starts pushing his cows kind of da- down Canyon and Right as I cross the creek and start going up the other side, I see him and he's like breaking from his cows. And I'm like, man, you know, mature bulls like rarely do that. You know, he had like 20 or 30 cows probably. And I'm like, dude, this is a golden opportunity. And I like, 
kind of try to get close to where I had just seen him. And there's like a small ravine I'm kind of working. Uh, and I have like a good line of trees on my side of the ravine. So I kind of have some cover. And I, the last place I'd seen him was like 120 yards out. And I kind of got on that line and I was going down. I had an arrow knocked. And I'm like, oh, man, I saw him like go down here. I was like, he's got to be here, you know, somewhere. And he'd kind of gone quiet for a couple minutes. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like right by the creek again. And I'm like, dude, he's got to be right here. And all of a sudden I see antlers like through this one of those big like fir trees, you know, and like I see his antlers. I'm like, holy shit, he's right there. I mean, he's like 25, 30 yards max. And he just lifts his head up and he must have heard me or something. And he just like kind of looks in my direction and he's just like, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, he's like right here. And you know, I'm like looking around and I was like, shit, if he walks out right there, he's at 30. And if he walks out right there, he's 30. I mean, he's going to walk out in one of those two spots and it's probably going to be to my right. Cause his cows are like down below me. It was awesome. Like standing in the shadow and he like put his head back down. I think he's like wallowing there in the Creek. And then he turned and started walking to my right. And as soon as I saw him turn, man, I just drew back like instinctively. Cause I've been like screwed before where it's like, you mess around with like trying to draw back, you know, like right before you want to shoot or whatever. And I'm sitting there at full draw and he walks out and he takes like two or three steps. And I just do like just one cow call. And this is the first call I'd made all morning. Just like me. And he just turned his head to like, look. And I mean, by that time my pin is already like settled, you know, and just like touchdown. And the arrow, like, looked really good. I mean, he was slightly quartering away. But, I mean, you never, like, you never really know. You know, I mean, unless you have it on film or something, you know. But you know, I'm just, like, you know, I watch the arrow, like, go through him. And he runs, and he goes, like, probably 65, 75 yards, and kind of starts going uphill. And there's kind of a little knoll there. And he kind of – he went up, and then it kind of looked like he started to turn downhill when he went over it. And, you know, of course, I'm just, like – not knowing where my shot's at. I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here and give it 30, you know, and kind of walked over, found my arrow, blood looked good. And yeah, at about that 30 minute mark, I was like, oh, I'm going to go, like, I'm just going to go look at least up to that knoll. If it like the blood looks good, I'll like keep going. If not, you know, I'll back off and give it a little bit. Well, like, he didn't bleed hardly at all. So I was basically like more or less tracking him because he was super heavy footed. I mean, he just got smoked. So it's like, he's going to be like, he was charging out of there and I'm like tracking, tracking, tracking. I got to about where he rolled over that knoll and his tracks got like super light right there. You could tell like he just wasn't like hammering his feet into the ground. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking and I'd found like maybe 20 drops of blood at this point. And I'm just like looking at, looking at tracks, looking at blood. And I was like, man, where is he? And I'm looking down, you know, not really like looking, I'm not like fanning out in front of me, like with my eyes. And I just like look up and he's just like dead, like 12 yards away. You know, I mean, it, the feeling of that, I mean, that's like, that bull for me was like a, you know, when I got into archery elk hunting like 10 years ago, that was like the goal, right? Of like, you know, killing a bull like that with your bow, that's the goal, you know? And it's just like, dude, it's, it's crazy when you like 
achieve a goal like that, it's not as like climactic as people might think, you know, it's like, I mean, so many people set out for that, but I mean, it's just like, I don't know, in a certain way, if you're not enough without that, you're not going to be enough with it, you know? So it's just like the experience more or less like made it, you know, and like just being alone, like in grizzly country in like, you know, what you described as like the spirit mountains, you know, it was sick. And it's like getting to getting to have that experience is insane. What a great way to look at it. I I, I just sure. love that thing that you, that comment that you just said. If you you weren't enough without that bull, you're not enough with it. Like that bull changes nothing. Like it's it's you have to embrace the entire process and experience. And those were the spirit mountains, man. That was just such a cool spot where you killed that bull. I I um. I just picked up on like a couple things as you were talking. Uh, I I love to hear you tell the story of that bull. Like I'm I'm buzzing right now. Uh, you know my whole body is because I know those feelings or those emotions. You know, but I love what you said at first, like passing up the the nursery. And it's tough to leave elk to find elk. But you found that there's certain locations where these smaller bulls will run around these cows, and it's more pressured areas, and that's not where the big bulls hang out, huh? For sure. And like, you know, they're not, and I think we like talked about this even like when we were packing that thing out was like, you know, it's not always you have to be in like a wilderness area to like find those areas. It's more like you got to find like areas with like wilderness characteristics, you know, in like out of the way places, like places that people aren't going to think to go, you know, it's like, Cause there's a lot of obvious places that are like, Oh man, that looks like a good elk hunting spot or like, you know, and I think to a degree, like it's easy to get like trapped into that mentality of being like, Oh, I'm going to go hit these like good spots. But it's like, sometimes like the best spots are the mature animals. I mean, they're not really, sometimes they're not even that far, you know, like that, like the way I hunted that, the way I hunted it in. Yeah. It was seven and a half miles from the truck when I shot that elk. But when we packed out, we were, what, like, two and a half, three, you know? Mm -hmm. It was just, like, I think guys get trapped into that, like, I got to go deep to find the big ones. But it's, like, not necessarily true because there's a lot of areas that just get overlooked, those elk, like, especially if they have a couple years where they, like, you know, don't get pressured in these areas, like, they're going to return to them, you know? I mean, I, I killed that bull less than, like, a mile from where I'd seen him the year before, you know? So it's, like, clearly he, like, ran that zone, you know? Gosh, yeah, um, that's a, a really good description. Like, uh, they just want to find a secluded basin where they have everything they need and they don't get pressured day in, day out. Hunters don't think to walk in there. And, and sometimes it's not like this like this grand view where you can see the entire world and these giant self-facers. Like, a lot of times it's like a like a like a small drainage that goes up you know that's got everything they need in there that that people don't think to hike up or it's tough to glass or tough to find a glassing position on it and and, and it seems like that's where those mature animals you know seem to be i i saw like i chased a giant bull in there a couple of years before you killed that one like um uh uh over the ridge like tor like up a little bit higher in a secluded basin up there but not far um, from sure. where you killed that bull, you know, just like this secluded basin uh, that you couldn't see from any roadway. You couldn't see from, from any place unless you just hiked in there, hiked to the top of this vantage point that overlooked that drainage. So, yeah, such a good description of that. For sure. 
Yep. And then yeah, and I mean that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, like um, and and then I just love like um, you know, your years of experience coming into play and capitalizing on opportunities, like uh, you know, busting those elk out. Like that always bugs me too when I when I bust elk or spook elk that I didn't know was there, and maybe I was moving too quick or whatever the case is. But I love how you played that big bull, how you slow played them, how you sat on the drainage, had the wind right and things, and they started to move, and you got down there and got close to where he should be, and then you're just kind of held up, kind of looking for him, kind of moving slow, like just knowing he should be there. Um, but so much of killing these bulls is like uh, making good on your opportunity, seeing that elk and like playing it right, like letting your instincts take over and, and just not pushing to failure. Like I think a lot of guys or even me in my younger years, I would be too aggressive with these elk and you need to go get into elk to kill them, but you just don't stock them to failure. You don't push the envelope with them. You know, you just want to keep with them or shadow them or coyote the herd. And like you did, you stuck with that bull and then you saw he separated from those cows and he actually separated from the cows to go wallow or go get a drink out of that crick or whatever he was doing there. And I'm sure he was going to join back up with his cows. But if you can just shadow and stay with a herd long enough, that bull will make a mistake. He'll get on the edge of the herd or he'll 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 leave them and separate for water, which is a great chance to get in between him and the elk, him and his cows if you can. But but just being able to slow play and shadow and keep that element of surprise. You didn't call all morning, even though there was elk bugling all the way around you. Like you wanted to to pick and choose the right bull, find the right one, and then you just shadowed them and just waited for your opportunity. Like there there there's so much there's so much gold there, you know, about making good on your opportunities. Because you even as good as a hunter as you are, like you only get so many a season, especially on a bull like that. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, you you know, and sometimes at the end of the season, you're looking at like one or two opportunities, especially on a bull like that caliber, you know, you're like maybe like one opportunity, maybe two if you're lucky, but yeah, it's like you hit the nail on the head with that. Like the slow, the long con is what I call it. You know, it's just (laughs) like, you know, I think a lot of guys get into this trap of like, especially new elk hunters. And I'm not, I, I definitely was guilty of it as well as like, I feel like sometimes we kind of get sold this idea that we got to like call, you know, to like kill elk, but it's like, dude, unless you like really know what you're doing. I mean, I've, I've definitely called elk in, but I mean, I've also killed like a number of bulls, like just like ambushing them, you know, like, especially with a bow. If you don't make a sound and you have everything, like you have the wind in your face. And especially if you have like, you can get the sun at your back, man. And like, yeah, just like you're saying, it's just like coyote the herd. I mean, dude, that's probably going to give a guy more opportunities than like sitting there blowing on your bugle or cow calling, you know, cause like they'll definitely get keen to that, you know, if they don't like, cause there's certain sounds that elk make as they're like walking, you know, with like their hooves and like that weird, like clicking sound. Um, it's like, man, when they go for a while and they hear all these calls and they don't hear any of those like natural elk sounds, do they get pretty suspicious and then they're going to be pretty hard to like call or then they're going to be super weary, you know? And I definitely found at least like solo hunting. And I mean, you could definitely do it like as a pair or something too, but man, I was just like letting the elk make the mistake. Like you already have the high ground. I mean, they're like, you know, dude, they're making the noise, 
you know, you don't necessarily need to do anything, you know, you just like stay with them and like wait for your opportunity, you know? Well, in the, the experience, like, um, like calling bulls and, and I've called a lot throughout the years as well, but calling those, you know, back in my younger years when I, when I used to call quite a bit, like, like calling those built bulls is like one of the most thrilling encounters and to, people get that dose of adrenaline too, to interact with those elk when they're bugling back and forth. But a lot of times those elk are just bugling to move their cows and get away from you. They may answer you, but the moment they hear those calls, they're getting out of the basin. And that's what, what turned my mind. I found this big seven point way back in the wilderness. This time I was backpacked in, he was in a drainage with his cows. And so, you know, I tried to play it and sneak into the timber. I had the wind, right. He was in there and I just made a couple soft cow calls, you know, thought he'd come up and check me out. And, and that bull left the drainage, left the country in the middle of the wilderness. He had probably <laughs> never even heard a call, but those big bulls, they just know the gig. And if you can catch them, not that you can't call a big bull in. I think more bulls are called by, you know, killed by calls than than any other method out there. For but sure. it's just like you said, like hunting these general units, these older bulls, man, they know the gigs up. You may find one time a year where that bull's so fired up and, and he's in a rut fest, and you're able to get in there and you're able to to call him in. But for the most part, they are avoiding that calls. They're the avoiding that conflict. They're trying to hold with those cows. And as far as the experience, so calling them in is so thrilling but i don't lose anything by keeping silent and keeping that element of surprise like they're still rutting and bugling cow calling and you get to be immersed in all this stuff so you still get this rut experience and the other thing i find too you know you mentioned it like those bulls when they come in they're on such pins and needles that a lot of times you can call five bulls in in a season and never get a shot just because they come in quarter two they come in on pins and needles looking for what made that sound and i mean you can't even twitch a finger when they come into a call they catch you but when you don't make calls elk are just being elk like that elk heard you you said like down in the creek like trying to sneak through that timber cracked a stick or whatever it was and he turned and bugled at you because he didn't know any humans were in the area he thought you were another elk or another bull or another something you know you just get away with more they're just elk being elk at that point and when you can get For elk sure. in their natural environment like that's when you can capitalize you know so um man yeah you, you're just so spot on with that i and and I'm a big advocate of not calling. And the other thing I found, like my big mountain hunt this year, like um, all the dudes hunting in that area were reliant upon calls. And so For you know sure. they were running around and they were bugling at these bulls, but they didn't have like a like a higher knowledge or understanding of what the elk were actually doing, where the elk actually were. You know they weren't really glassing for them. They were just reliant upon these calls and getting answers. And so you know I'm in the middle of this wilderness. And there'd be some guys calling that would that would get into elk, but for the most part, you know, they couldn't figure out where the elk went or what the elk were doing, you know, and and they couldn't keep on the elk to where me that was, you know, really living through my glass and listening and paying attention to where the elk were working, like a, you know, I I had them. You know, one night all to myself, and then, you know, some guys must have seen him up there, and then there are a few guys that converge on that spot kind of calling. But but to stay up there and stay to that vantage point until evening and then see those elk and where they moved to and nobody was on them and get on them and get close. And, man, I had a bull at like 60 yards for 10 minutes stare off 
but he was just quartered to me and I couldn't shoot him. And it was actually the bull I ended up killing, this great big six point. But he um yeah, I, I he finally busted out of there and then um you know then I, I just followed those elk and kept with them and kept with them into the next drainage. And in that next drainage, there was no human pressure. And I was able to, to hunt them for two days in there, you know, and, and, and have some awesome encounters. So, yeah, I just think like, um, you know, even if you're going to call these elk, like just paying attention to their movements and what they're doing and where they're hanging out, like, like you just have a better chance at killing one, I feel like. For sure. And I, I, you know, and just do like the guiding and all that. It's like, I've always felt like there's like a two to three day period where like those elk are like super callable. It's like right before they're like hurt, right before the bulls are like herded up with the cows, you know, and they're like looking for the cows and like, you know, they're definitely more turned on and they're definitely a little stupider. Cause man, once they get into that herd, it's like, that's tough, you know, and then <clears throat> especially if you're trying to kill a big mature bull, like you're definitely better off like not calling, you know, but I mean, if, if you can find them, I mean, I've definitely called in a few big bulls and had them killed, but you know, if you can find them in the, like a couple days, like right before they get herded up, that's a pretty excellent time to be out there. Cause it is fun. You get to like call them in, but like you're saying, dude, like with the call in deal, it's like a lot of times they'll come in like quartered two or like facing you or like, you know, there's a tree in the way. It's just like, dude, it's pretty, it's tough to get that absolutely. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that like can do it and do it consistently, but it's like, dude, you got to have the right setup. It's almost like a terrain thing. You know, it's like certain areas, I think of the country are probably better suited for calling, you know, and like killing. Cause there's a lot of areas you can call elk all day and have encounters, but you can't kill them because it's so thick, you know, or like something like that, you know, but man, here's a way better advantage if you can just be silent and just use a glass and like pay attention, you know, man, that element of surprise is so key too. It's like those elk all get tuned up when they start hearing calls, you know, they're just on edge sure. or it can move them out of a drainage or bounce them out. But you keep that element of surprise. And again, you just have elk being elk. They're just rutting down there. They're just doing their deal. And when they're doing that and you have that element of surprise, man, that's when you got a good chance at killing those things. So yeah, man, I think you're, you're spot on. Those are like some of the tactics I use as well. Um, so, so elk with a bow and arrow, and I know you love a bow and arrow and you've killed multiple bulls with a bow and arrow, but, uh, you, you ran into some, um, like, like some, some bad juju, right? Like, um, being able to keep your calm, like in those moments, like that little bit of target panic or a little bit of rushing the shot and had some bad experiences, like, and also you've been around elk and elk hunting so much with guiding and hunting with buddies and hunting for yourself that you've seen some bad situations go down and elk are the toughest animal on planet earth. Like you have to put a perfect shot on them and, and that goes for a bow or for a rifle, but, and I'm kind of talking for you here, but it, it's almost like, um, you know, you lost faith in it that year before you talked about hitting a bull and losing it. And that is the lowest low. And with a rifle, you've had great success because you're proficient, you practice with it, and you're really good at the late season at putting in a ton of miles and, and being able to find a next level bull. And then when you find them, you're a good shot with your rifle and you put them down, you know. So um, kind of talk about that and some of your experiences because I know you've killed a couple giant bears with your bow, elk with your bow. Like you're really well versed in experience, but 
you almost lost faith for a little bit there. Dude, for sure. You know, I think maybe everybody has a crisis of faith at some point, you know, it's just, I mean, my bow hunting journey, you know, it started out, I, uh, I drew a Ram tag here in Western Montana, uh, when I was 21 years old, it's like 12 years ago. And I was like, hell bent, you know, I'm like, I want to do that with a bow, you know? And like, I feel like that was maybe a pretty lofty goal in the beginning. <laughs> it you know? sure was, <laughs> man. Like, Those things are so tough. For sure. And I'm like, you know, I dropped out of college to do this, you know, like it, it changed it. Like, you know, people talk about like a hunt, like, Oh, it changed my life. But I swear to God that changed the whole trajectory of my life, you know? And especially to like be successful on it, you know, to kill a ram at like, it was almost at 9,000 feet out of a group of like 35, 35 rams on the mountain. I mean, it was, it was sick. And like, that's when we get into it. But, uh, I've had, yeah, I've had some great success of, of like, I've done a lot with my bow, but then in the last, like, shit, I think it was, I guess it was 2019 and then last spring, in the fall of 2019, in roughly the same area I killed that bull last year, I shot a big bull and had, like, the arrow deflect off of a limb, and it, like, hit him high back i don't even think it hit anything other than maybe like that bottom edge of his spine um and just talk about going from like hero to zero man i mean i was just like riding this high of like dude i just shot a bull like that was awesome and, you know just having this awesome experience to being like knowing as soon as that arrow was like halfway there that it was in the wrong spot you know and like dude it crushed me man i went in there and i looked for that bull for like off and off you know as much as i could get over there i think i looked for him like four or five times in there could never find him never found birds you know and they're super tough they get gored all the time by other elk like that had me super down and then uh in 2020 spring i was like on this huge bear and it was cool dude like i was moving in on him he was up on this, like, there was, like, a ledge and then, like, this outsloping granite that had a bunch of, like, moss growing on it. And he was on that, and I was trying to get up on it to, like, be on the same level as him. But I was probably, like, 50 yards away from him when I was trying to crawl up onto that rock. And he heard me and charged me, and he ended up at, like, seven-ish yards, probably. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I ended up, like, whiffing that shot, like, pretty bad. He was, like he was kind of quartered to me and I think in just like the panic of being like oh shit that bear is like right here and he's sitting there growling at me you know and I'm like ah like drew, drew back and you know I think this goes back into like target panic because he had like a huge white patch on his chest and I pretty much figured man as soon as that pin gets there like punk you know as opposed to like thinking about it and being like okay like I need to be like i basically should have aimed at his like right shoulder to get the right like pass through i guess you know the right angle but yep. i didn't and basically it like it just went in you know basically like kind of a little bit below like where your collarbone would be and it just blew out right behind his right shoulder so it's just like dude it didn't catch anything and i knew it as soon as that arrow like went like was hitting it I was like, oh, man, that sucks. That's not a good shot. It slid along Found the inside the of the shoulder, right? 
Yeah, for yep. sure. So it just caught caught nothing. You know, that bear ran off like bled like zero. You know, and I actually found that bear like three or four days later, still alive. You know, I couldn't get back on him, but um, yeah, dude, it really bummed me out. And I guess as opposed to just like giving it up and just being like, yeah, I'm not going to bow hunt anymore. I just like took it on myself to like fight that target panic or like figure it out, you know? And for me, it really just came down to like just solidifying my release and really like, you know, I shoot a trigger. I don't shoot like a, a thumb or a back tension or whatever. Um, but for me, it really just came down to like mentally pushing myself to like pin that trigger back to like, as you know, like pulling that trigger all the way through. And it's kind of, I think the same like methodology is like a back tension where you're just like pulling through your shot, you know, cause like pinning that fucking trigger back will like, you know, it, it makes you pull through that shot to where you're not like easing up tension or anything like that. And it definitely made like my shooting more consistent. And dude, I had never felt more confident about my shooting as I felt like, you know, going into last archery season, which was an awesome feeling. Cause like, you know, I feel like I'd kind of struggled with target panic for like two, three years, you know? And, you know, that'll definitely make you like question, like, dude, it, it all of a sudden is like not fun to shoot a bow anymore. And that sucks because shooting a bow is like one of the most fun things in the world. You know, and I'm just like, you know, if anybody out there struggling with target panic, you can totally overcome it, but it definitely takes like a lot of work. I mean, I shot more in the summer of 2020 than I think I've ever shot in my life. I mean, I was shooting like probably like upwards of 40 arrows at least a day, you know? And it's just like, just dedicating myself to like being like, I'm going to, I'm going to get over this hump, you know? And then to like, it would be rewarded more or less with a bull like that was like, I mean, dude, stoked me out like completely, you know, I'm like so pumped to like archery hunting, you know, it's sick. Yeah, that's a, a a really good explanation of it. Um, yeah, it's uh, the difference between a good shot and a bad shot is like a second. You know, it's like, and and for, for sure. any of us, like no release will fix target panic. Like they they're tools to get better at overcoming it and things. But you're right, it's all between the ears. Like it's all oh, mental. Yeah. You know, and and target panic is mental. The whole thing is mental. But to to be able to wrap your brain about around what you need to do in the moment and then get a hold of yourself and execute correctly like there's no better feeling on the world but it it's so much easier said than done like it's easy me and you sitting on our couch right now talking about it like going well yeah yeah that's what I I'm just going to take my time and execute right on that giant pull but it's different when you're there you know and so yeah like oh, like yeah, practicing that sure. that summer <laughs> And like hardwiring yourself for that, like hardwiring yourself, like yours is pull through your shot. That's your most important step. Um, you know, and I think the biggest mistake made is like when you, like you said, put your pin on that white spot and punch it off. Like when you just get your pin to the spot and you make it go, that's not a good execution or a good shot. And it may work out a time or two, but you know. Throughout the test of time, consistency, like you're going to mess up a lot of shots because you just – you put that pin and you go now, you know, and you, you – yeah. like that's the worst thing you can do. Like the, the best thing 
or the key for me is to like before the shot get a hold of myself like snap out of it like just hey execute like i just tell myself execute before i pull back and i know what that means because i've said it a thousand times to myself and so i kind of take a couple deep breaths and i just snap out of it and and i get back to like i don't go on total autopilot like all of a sudden i say execute pull on your shot and when i draw back i i anchor uh, put the pin where I want it on the animal, and for me, it's just letting that aim just sit there for a second and pulling on my shot, and shots break super quick on animals. It's not like you're sitting there for five seconds waiting for that shot to break. You start your execution or start your process, but just letting that pin settle a little bit, and then that arrow goes right where it's supposed to, but it's so much easier said than done, man. It's just oh, like the yeah, toughest thing on planet sure. Earth. <laughs> For sure. And like, there's like, you know, I think a lot of that too, is just, you, you get, if you practice enough and then it's just like, it's so hardwired in your brain, you know, I think it makes it a lot harder to like mess up in that like moment of truth. Cause like, I know there's a lot of guys out there that won't admit it, but a lot of guys don't get their bow like up and running until like mid July, maybe even early August, you know? And for me, I'm not that good of a shot. Like, I will be the first one to say, like, dude, I, like, I practice a lot, and I feel like the reason why I'm a good shot right now is because I shoot a lot. You know, and I know there's probably people out there that are, like, super natural, and they can just, like, go out there and just, like, pin five shots in the circle on the target every time. But I feel like even then, like, just, just because you're, like, a naturally good shot doesn't mean you shouldn't practice, because I think those are the guys that miss, you know, when it comes down to, like, the moment of truth and, like, you know, on an animal, you know, and they're just like relying on their natural, like ability to shoot, to come through in that moment. But I don't think it always translates, you know, and some of that might be like just experience in the moment. But I think also a lot of that is like just spending time with your bow and shooting so much that it's just like instinctive, you know? Yeah. And I've seen really good shooters that would outshoot me on a paper target airball a mule deer at 40 yards you know and throw their bow and throw sure. a temper tantrum but like um, <laughs> <laughs> um but like uh, uh you're right like i think it's not just practice or going through the motions it's intentional practice it's when you're sitting back there practicing and you're shooting your 40 days every day and i'm the same way brandon like i I have to practice a lot. Like I, it, it's muscle memory for me and, and I'm not naturally a good shooter. It's cause I work at it, but it's intentional practice of putting yourself in that moment. Like I love the first arrow in my group is the arrow. I will be shooting at a deer or an elk, you know, hopefully if everything goes right, hopefully I don't get to shoot a second sure. arrow or empty my quiver. But that first arrow, <laughs> like I put so much importance on that in my practice. So every day that I go out, that first arrow, you know, I'm shooting a broadhead, I'm shooting in the conditions, and I just tell myself, like, it's that big bull standing out there in that intentional practice of, like, uh, you know, putting yourself in the moment and almost visualizing it and putting that pin and making the right moves, like uh, thinking about that adrenaline-filled moment and how you're going to handle it and how you're going to execute your shot, I think, is is so important. It, it's um. It's it's fun to hear your your journey with that that bow and execution, um, man. It, it is like uh, it, it's why we love it so much, but it, it's also why we hate it at times. You know, it's so difficult to get a hold of yourself in those moments. For sure, and I'm just glad that like I came over the hump, you know, because I was seriously being like, dude, I don't know how much I want archery anymore, you know. And it's just like, 
that was almost like a cop out of like me not wanting to work on it, you know, or just like not wanting to make the time to be like, I'm going to get better. I like, I was good at this. Like now I'm not as great, but I'm like, you know, it just takes time. And for me, it's like, dude, now it's like, dude, September is the greatest month in the whole, you know, in especially where we live, it's like the best month, you know? Oh, and it's such a good chance at a big mature bull too. Like you, you have chances at them in the late season, but that September when they're rotten, you know, that's, they're susceptible, you know, to getting in there and getting an arrow in those big bulls. You just see them, you know. So yeah, I'm with you. And and so you know, you've killed quite a few mule deer too. Um, but but you really, I kind of know you as like an an elk guru, bear guru, and um. So this year you you got after some mule deer in that late November, man. It looked like you had a good hunt. You killed a heck of a buck. Yeah, for sure. And like, I've guided some deer. Like I had up until last year, 2020, I hadn't killed personally killed a mule deer in like 16 years. Oh like my a mule gosh. Deer buck. That's a long dry spell. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. I had just like, I just been hunting, like my parents owned some property there south of Missoula. So we'd always just kind of like hunt whitetails, you know, cause it's just like, it's just there. It's like they're on the property. It's easy, if you will. Um, but I really got the bug. I think in like 2019, I was like, oh, I really should just start getting out, you know, seeing pictures of guys like, you know, killing these big mountain bucks. And then, you know, in 2019, they actually kill that big one it was sweet and it kind of ignited it, you know? And then last year, me and my buddy Zach had plans to go out the last week of the season. And so like, I just kind of reserved myself to just like hunting then, you know, and it, it took a lot cause I'm, you know, out of tags and it's just like, I spent the majority of rifle season not doing anything. It felt weird too, to like kill a bull and archery to not have a tag, an elk tag and rifle, you know, it's super relieving. But, uh, yeah, we decided to kind of go deep for deer and it was an area that I have kind of played around in a little bit. Um, Zach had a little bit more experience there, so we're a little bit more dialed into where the deer were. Um, and, you know, getting in there, we saw quite a few elk, or not elk, uh, deer the first day. Um, nothing we were really, like, excited about, you know, and we had kind of planned, like, a big loop, basically. And um, I think it was, like, midday, it was around noon, on the second day of the hunt, and we were, like, sitting there, glassing and like some people i swear just have like deer eyes like they can just pick them up when i was in mexico man those mexican guides it was just like dude it was blowing me away because i was like i couldn't spot anything the first couple days i was out there um but like zach was like i think he probably spotted like 10 deer to my one you know and so i'm just like you know, feeling just like, dude, what am I doing out here? You know, I mean, an elk is pretty easy to spot on the landscape. A deer is not. And, uh, anyway, we were like kind of working up this drain. We'd stopped a couple times to glass. We picked up some smaller deer and whatnot. And like, just like, oh, I'm going to pick, pick apart the head end of the space. And then I'd like seen some tracks in the snow. And so I just pulled the spotter up and it was just kind of like grid searching through this like small patch of timber. And then it was just one of those like moments where you're like, boom, there they are. And that buck was, like, sitting there bedded, like, chewing his cud, like, in, like, a patch of snow. But it was thick because, like, the angle we were looking at him, his his antlers were framed, like, perfectly in the snow. Um, and it was awesome because I think we were only, like, 800 yards away from him when we first spotted him. 
and I was like pretty like frothing at the mouth, you know, I'd like waited all right for you to go hunting. Um, and you know, it's just kind of like one of those things you're like hunting with your buddy and like, you know, we hadn't really discussed like who goes first, but uh, you know, Zach kind of let me have it, which I super appreciate. I think he could just see, I was just like foaming at the mouth for this thing. Um, and it was awesome, dude. We like, we we're like 800 yards when we first saw him. He was bedded there with one doe. We kind of like crept over the crest of the ridge as like quickly and out of tried to be as out of sight as we could, and like worked up. I think we got into like 220 yards of him, and he still just like bedded there. And we were all like creep out on the edge of this cliff and like shoot him off the cliff like in his bed. And it was so cool, like just being able to like be on a hunt like that and like smoke like a super awesome mature like mountain buck was awesome and like and then to get up to him and he's just like ultra massive he's got like a big kicker on the one side like he's the biggest buck that i've ever killed you know like it's sweet for sure i mean it just it has me hooked for sure those late seasons like when the deer are running is pretty fun you know like definitely like a new a newfound like passion for me you know Oh man, they're so susceptible during the rut, and as big boys, they they make themselves seen. It's so tough to hunt them pre-rut. Like that's the the time of year where they're the toughest to find. So yeah, being able to capitalize on that that rut when they're chasing the does is so fun. Um, yeah, good on you guys. It it sounded like a great adventure. I was sure pumped for you to see you come up with that deer, and um, you know maybe a little selfish too, but I'm happy to see you get hooked on those mule deer because I think I got a buddy for the future to to go with me. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. Well, um, dude, I'm running out of time, but I want to talk about bears a little bit. Uh, you are like uh one of if not the best bear hunter I know. Um, you know, you just you have so much experience, like guiding for him in the spring, hunting for yourself. Uh, so much experience in that, uh, you know, on that western side of the state there. Uh, man, you got to be getting pumped for springtime. Yeah, for sure. And, like, man, here locally, it's, like, been a pretty mild March. You know, I mean, we've had a lot of days in the 60s. There's still a lot of snowpack out there. Um, definitely getting pumped to go out. Hopefully the – at least where I'm at locally, it's, like, it's it's really good until runoff really starts to kick in. And once we kind of hit runoff, it's kind of like season ending almost in like at least my local units. It just gets like too dangerous almost to like, there's a certain point where you're like, is this worth it? You know, it's like, I don't want to die in a raging runoff Creek, you know, like trying to cross and like, um, Oh, those creeks get, they get so gnarly. So yeah, you like to hunt that, that early season, um, but yeah, and when you've hunted a lot late too, and guided a lot late, but yeah, in your local area, those cricks, like, uh, it, it's not just a gentle flowing crick that's clear water. Like no. that thing is a ra- it looks like the goddamn Nile river. It's just like this turning oh, yeah. mud and just like, and the thing's just flying down the hill, you know? And it's like, man, you can't, you can't even step foot in that, or you're just a goner or trying to cross a log. You're just looking at at sheer death below you so yeah i i definitely those things when they get swole around there man that is super dangerous yeah and i've had days in there like i had one day early i think it was like just the beginning of may and like i was with my buddy and dude the, the one creek it was like as big as the river in august you know and it's like a small it's like a smaller creek 
in August, you know, I'm like, dude, you want to go there in May? And it's like, holy shit, this is a serious deal, you know? And it, it's cool. Like we have some fantastic bear hunting here, but it's like, it, it is one of those things like, man, once runoff starts, it's like, yeah, you better go somewhere else. Cause it's just not worth it anymore, you know, but I'm stoked to like hunt here locally this year. And then like, I'm pretty excited to go up to Prince of Wales and hunt up there in May. You know, that should be a pretty awesome hunt. Oh, dude, I know. I was so stoked for you when I heard you put that together for Prince of Wales. Uh, you're so into big bears. You're so good at it. Um, uh, you know, you've killed a lot of big ones and been part of a lot of big ones. You're really good at field judging them. But that Prince of Wales, like, we've got some good genetics out west here, and we can kill some big bears. But that average on the Prince of Wales, those coastal bears, those black bears, they're just such giants. Like, that's where you'll kill that big seven footer or, you know, the 20, 21 inch skull, like they're just big bears. So good for you. What are the logistics of that hunt? How are you going about it? Are you staying on a boat or doing it yourself or like, um, uh, how are you putting that one together? So I got a buddy that I kind of met, you know, through like the gram, I guess. And I just kind of reached out to him, I guess it was last year after I drew the tag and I was like, Hey dude, like, I drew this tag, you know, like, what do you know? And like, um, you know, we kind of got to talking about it and he's like, well, let me see kind of what I can do. And he actually ended up lining up. Like, I think his buddy's got like a 35 foot boat and then like a skiff as well. So I think we're going to be pretty well like boat hunting. Um, I want to say we're going on the Southern half of the Island, which is super remote. Um, but man, I'm honestly, I'm probably just as excited about like going fishing up there during our hunt as i am like the bear hunting i mean i'm so so pumped to like try to chase a big like seven and a half foot bear but it's like dude i'm also stoked to like hook into some steelhead and some dolly varden and some salmon you know like that's gonna be the coolest part about that hunt is just like the multifaceted aspect of it you know the experience again it's like in enjoying it if you if you weren't happy before a big bear you won't be happy after a big bear but yeah you got to sure. enjoy the you got to enjoy the entire entire process and it's just so different for us to be up there and hunting coastlines and those rivers like you say the dollies and the steelhead and stuff man you're going to have an absolute riot um good on oh, you putting so that thing together so so bears in the in the springtime um, I think you do it better than anybody of living and dying behind master vantage points. So do you, um, you know, and I lot, I know a lot of it's experience, but, but you're looking for those master vantage points. You do not hunt your way through country or hunt your way through ridgelines. Like you'll find your way hunting into an area, but you, um, you know, and through guiding, uh, you, you've told me stories before about how you live and die behind the master vantage points and other guides will go hunt around and go hunt into these drainages and go hike around and they they don't see that same bear count that you see. Like living by the master vantage points when you're hunting bears is so crucial, isn't it? For sure. And I mean, I really think that like there's a time and a place for like hunting too. Like if I was on like a backpack hunt, yeah, I'd, I'd still be spending a ton of time behind the glass, but, you know, you'd probably move a little bit more. Um, yeah, man, at least here locally, it's like I try to just get to where I can see, like, as much as I can with as, like, minimal physical effort throughout the day. It's like, yeah, you're going to bust your ass getting to that point. But it's like, man, you better, like, because you, you just stand a lot better chance of just, like, you know, almost more or less, like, sitting there and breaking down the country and at least trying to, like, like from those vantage points, you're obviously 
probably not going to kill anything from right where you're sitting. There's a very rare exception, but most of the time you're probably not going to kill anything sitting there. So you're just basically trying to be like, okay, and it might not even be a today bear. It might be like tomorrow or, you know, something like that where you're like, oh, that bear's seven miles up from us right now. It's like I'm going to have to like get up there. But, dude, you'd be surprised. I mean, a lot of people think, you know, I'd get clients that you'd be like, well, how are we going to kill that when it's like super far away? But it's like, man, when you actually put your nose to the grindstone and like start moving, you can like, you can send it for sure. You know, um, it, it, you just see so much more and you're able to like observe so much more of the country. If you can like just get to that point where you can see, you know, six, seven miles of country and just sit there and like, just watch and just observe and just kind of like, you know, just be on the landscape. Cause man, when you're moving through it, like, I'm not saying you can't see them and I'm not saying you won't you're probably going to see more if you can like just look at all that country rather than move through it. And like the time to move through it was like after you see one, you know, and that's when it's like, okay, game on. And then, you know, sitting there too, it's like you get the opportunity to like, you know, I hear guys say like, Oh, it's hard to identify sex or size or whatever. And it's like, man, not if, if you're doing it right, it's not because even with like, even from a distance, there's like characteristics and like subtleties that you can like pick out between a boar and a sow. You know, it's like the boars have a way bigger front end. They're generally like taller, like, you know, they look physically like, you know, more like a bodybuilder, you know? Um, and if you sit there and look at them long enough, I mean, I think, you know, and big bears kind of have an attitude about them and you can like kind of figure out what's worth your while. You know, you're probably going to expend less effort physically, of glassing all day and then like literally sprinting after the bear that you want to go kill rather than like continuously moving through the country and trying to pick it apart as you go, you know? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, spot on when you're so low impact from a vantage point and two, like even hiking through country, you can hike through some of the best bear features in the world, but you, you learn real quick when you sit on vantage points that even the best bear features, those bears aren't on it all the time, or they're not out where you can see them all the time. Like you could sit on a vantage point for eight hours looking at the best bear country and not see a bear. And all of a sudden that, that last couple hours or that afternoon hours, all of a sudden you know, you see three of them. And that was the case, you know, uh, you took me hunting into one of your good spots out there. Like we met up and went. And um, so that's what we did. We exactly like you described, like we put in really good effort, like hiking up to this vantage point and you just had the most killer vantage point. Like, I think it's key to look at bear country too. And you know what good bear country looks like the, the sparse cover, open meadow grass, but like secluded, um, like pocket parks in it. And so you took us up to this rock outcropping, and so hiked up, crossed the creek, uh, made our way up there. We got on this master vantage point, and you know we sat there for quite a while before we saw a bear. Now, if you were hiking through there, you know you're just going to hike through and pull up your binos and look at that thing, and you you may bounce into one, but to be able to look at six, seven miles of country for multiple hours, all of a sudden that that magic afternoon hour happened, and we saw. I think we saw three bears, and we did see one good shooter that uh, we went for. And, and like you say, you're sitting on that vantage point. You're not expending much energy, but then all of a sudden you see the one you want, and, and it goes from zero to 100. Like you're sprinting down the hill, cross the creek. We got soaking wet because we didn't find the tree to cross on because we're just trying to get there, right? 
And uh, yep. we did get up there, and that bear gave us the slip. Somehow he disappeared. I'm not sure where. It was a good spot to kill him. Maybe our wind got a little fickle or something like that. But, um, yeah, I just think your, your, your tactics are so spot on. Like finding those vantage points, believing in them, and sitting in them. And I'll, I'll still hunt to my vantage points and all glasses. I'm hiking to them. But for the most part, man, it's sitting on those vantage points. And I'm surprised. Like sometimes I'll do, you know, a three-hour session. And I won't see a bear, and right as I'm getting ready to leave, here will be a bear that pops out. And I've been staring at the the best bear features in that whole drainage for three hours, and then finally I see him come out, you know. So it it seems like there's just less bears than ungulates where you just really have to find those master vantage points to to see him and then try to make a a plan to kill him. And and sometimes I get ADD where I'll work a vantage point, sit there for an hour and a half, and then, you know, I'll keep working up and I'll find another vantage point, and I'll sit there for an hour and a half. And so there's there's definitely different tactics there, but – uh, once you can get that mindset of, of living and dying behind your glass and finding those master vantage points, like I think that's the key to killing bears. For sure. And, you know, some of it too is like time of year too um, of like what time of day to put in the work. So like early season, you know, from the last couple of seasons I've found at least here is that like the middle of the day, between like 10 and four o'clock, 10 and six o'clock is better than the evening because those bears like they're coming out of their den and man, they just want to kind of be warm and like munch on some grass, you know? So it's like, I, you know, honestly, I haven't seen too many bears, at least like the first cup, like first two weeks of the season, you generally don't see too many out in that like evening light, you know, which like later in the season is like opposite. You know, it's like later in the season, man, you know, a guy could work a nine to five job, get out there, get up to a master vantage point and like still go kill a bear in the evening because your last like three to four hours are going to be the best time of the day, you know, period. Some guys talk about the morning, but I've never had great success. Um, You know, if you can like, if, if you do find yourself being one of those guys with ADD, you probably don't need to go sit there all day. You know, if you like, if, if you're just trying to casually kind of go bear hunting, it's like, man, you can like, you know, putting the time in the evenings later in the season or just, you know, you got some hours on a day off in the early season, out the middle of the day, you know, and then like you don't see anything by five, six o'clock, hike up, you know, For oh. sure. it, 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 that, that can kind of make it easier to like, you know, digest. Yeah. Putting your effort in at the right time. That's a really good point. And I, I totally agree with you. That early season, it's like that middle of the day is hot. And even the last two hours or that evening when you think you'll see them, then you get blanked. Like they, uh, that, sure. that, that <laughs> afternoon is so good for me. But I like what you said that 10 to 4, 10 to 6, or, um, you know, even 12 to 6. But just trying to time it right to where you're in the right place at the right time, I think is imperative. I also find like, like you said, as it gets later in the season, if it's a hot, sunny day, you know, those bears, they just won't be out towards the middle of the day. They're those last two hours of evening is prime time. But early in the season, the first month of season, all the way till mid-May or rainy days or cold days, man, that, that middle of the day is prime time. And I, I actually, if I was to choose a time for bears, it would probably be that late afternoon, that four to six is when I see a lot of my bears, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Like putting in your uh, putting in your effort at the right time of the day. And I'm like you, I I don't see many in the morning. The only exception I'll make is if I saw a bear, 
you know, late one night, sometimes I'll try to show up in the morning and try to find him on that feature. But usually it's about nine, ten o'clock before you put your eyes on your first bear. They just don't like to be out at that first light and that cold, it seems like to me. Yeah, and, like, one of my old outfitters, like, put it well. He's like, they're like teenage kids, you know. They'll, like, stay up late and they'll wake up late, you know. But, I mean, my only exception to that is the biggest bear that I have personally killed. I shot at, like, 7 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. You know, like, early, early, I think it was April 29th or something like that. So it was pretty early. And, like, dude, I just showed up to this, like, glassing knob, like, really early in the morning for some reason. I was like, I'm going to take advantage of my day off. And it was one of those ones where you, like, sit down and you, like, throw your glass up and immediately you're on one, you know. And I I try to, like, remember that when I always say, like, oh, mornings aren't worth anything, you know, because it's, like, my personal best bear was killed super early in the morning. But that's proved to be the exception, you know. And, like, some guys will hunt the morning and, like, get after it. But, man, it's just, like, it just doesn't seem like you really see them until, like, after at least after 9. I mean, 10 o'clock probably more reasonable but even then man it's just that that's rough you know and then those are long days sitting there oh my gosh all day long and then uh by the time the bears do actually get out like you say you've had add and worked off the vantage point you're not sitting where you're supposed to during the right time of day so i'm like you where i like to put that effort in when i have the best chance at seeing them and and, and a lot of that um you know a, a lot of these things that we talk about just comes from uh, years of hunting bears and like picking up on when we see them, where we see them, you know. And so you get these these instincts about you for for bears and and and, and where to look and where to be and um, what time to be out there. A lot of it is bro science, but eventually you run into a bear. For sure, yeah. And there is something to that to being like, okay, I'm gonna like put my effort in where like, you know, I think a lot of my first couple seasons bear hunting i put a lot of effort into a lot of places that like i shouldn't have been you know like do it's like i was in the right places but i wasn't putting my effort in the right like zone i guess you know and so just it takes a minute you know hopefully people listening to this is like break that learning curve down a little bit because it took me a while and a lot of miles hiked and a lot of days out there not seeing anything before it was like before it like clicked and i think there is like that moment probably for a lot of people where it's like because bear hunting spring bear hunting can be super tough i mean i remember when i first started it was like you know a couple bears a season and now it's like i'm not seeing you know five six seven eight bears a week that's like pretty slow yes yep i want to see 30 to 50 bears a season for sure in the the areas that i hunt but yeah when you first start like it's a mission to try to find five bears a season you know it's like for sure and it's a bit of black magic when you keep putting forth all this effort and you just can't even see a bear you can't even find one you know it's it gets to be frustrating or wears on you but through the years when you gain experience you just know that you know you're gonna hit a payoff you know you keep hitting these bear drainages or these places that bear frequent you know the elevations seems to be key in the spring like following that yep that green wave up and once you can see a bear at an elevation man i jot down that elevation and it's wild you can go to different places in that mountain range at that same elevation and that's where the bears will be it seems like for sure yeah it's like i feel i think lampers pointed it out it's like that chartreuse grass it's like that grass it's like so green it, it like stands out you know and it's like dude that's the that's the stuff you got to look for because like and that will generally be in that bear elevation but it's like did you find that grass that glows and it's like 
it, you know, it's like radioactive for those bears. It's like that's where they're going to be. You know, I mean, you could all, especially early season, you find some chartreuse glass like the grass like that, and it's going to be like dynamite. Yeah, that neon grass, and you can you can almost sit it when you sit on the vantage point and you look over all the terrain you're looking at. You can kind of see the greenest spots. And, and that's usually where that bear will end up popping out at. You know, it's like you can almost call it where you're going to see that bear because they're all about the food source. And, and it just seems like they find those greenest patches, and then that's where they'll be. For sure. Yep, for sure. Man, um, well, dude, it's so good to talk to you. Like, I um, uh, can't wait to get out with you this spring and pump to see how you do on that um, that hunt over on uh, in Alaska prince of wales god that's gonna be so awesome being able to chase those big bears around but yeah i, I just uh i appreciate you and your friendship man and jumping on the podcast with me i always enjoy our conversations can you can you believe that was an hour and 10 minutes already that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> time work yeah for sure yeah so uh thanks buddy i appreciate you um take care and keep in touch yeah man thanks for having me on yep all right guys that's a wrap Again, it's just uh, uh, always a fun conversation with Brandon. That guy is an absolute go-getter, and he is an adventure too. Like you, you know, I've teamed up with him on a couple hunts, and he is all in. Like uh, you, you, you start going for a hike or something with this guy, and he can just go forever. You know, he's got that, he's got that adventure running through his blood, like me and like a lot of you guys as well. Uh, but yeah, he is all in. Uh, so so fun to connect with him and hear about his season. I know it was part of the the elk hunt, or at least the pack out. I'm going to get that thing, but uh, I knew he had great success, um, you know, with his with his deer hunt and then just a great bear hunter. So, again, just enjoyed the conversation, and I really appreciate that guy uh, as a friend. So, um, thanks again to our sponsors, Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, make sure to check out their instant tea bags and then check out that subscription or just uh, uh, order and try out some of their roasts. They just make the best coffee out there. I'm so impressed with the flavor. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be using Black Rifle Coffee Company for life for sure, whether they're a sponsor or not. Um, I also want to thank High Mountain Seasonings, uh, just making those seasonings that um, make that jerky just absolutely off the hook. And they also have the steak marinades, everything for snack sticks, for summer sausage, all your wild game needs. So make sure to check them out as well. And with that, yeah, just um, getting rolling here on bear season. Uh, finally starting to see some green grass. Saw the, my first bear the other day. Uh, you know, this valley in, in this area that I'm in are higher elevations and just takes a little bit longer to turn on, but it's finally starting to happen here. So uh, I'm just pumped to get my bow out for a walk in the woods and hopefully earn some stocks and, and some plays and help some buddies be su successful. I got um, some friends coming in this week, so uh, just hunt as I can. I know I can hunt Tuesday early afternoon. I'll kind of take off and go hunt with those guys and um, maybe squeeze in a, a Thursday or a Friday or something like that. So super pumped. And then have the weekend, and uh, I think this weekend... Man, we've had volleyball tournaments, softball tournaments. My girls have been so busy, but I'm going to try to see if I can sneak out this weekend and go do a multiple-day adventure and um, go put some miles on, see if I can't go find those things and, uh, you know, just uh, go live in the mountains, you know. It's, um be fun. I, I need a little release. Uh, work has been stressful lately. I got a bunch of projects going, and um, so that's been keeping me really busy. So, um, 
you know, be good to get out and enjoy it. So, all right, guys, season's on its way. Keep working hard towards your goals and be here before we know it. Few months left. Good luck in the draws. And um, man, let's let's get after this season. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. So uh, thank you guys for all the support. I really appreciate it. Downloading the podcast, subscribing uh, really helps me out and keeps this thing rolling. So um, keep trying to bring you guys that next level information that makes you better public land hunters. And with that, check in with you next week.